This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks, where we go through the Premier League matches of the weekend, but also we're going to look forward to, well, rather back again, sorry, at the Malaysian football scene as well. And it's been a, a packed weekend, and our three pundits represent the gamut of emotions. We have one who's going to be very happy, Arvin Sidhu. Well, it's good to be here as always. Uh, great to have you. One who's rather sad, uh, Goglin. Hey, hopeful now, also hopeful. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad, first, uh, first show of the new season. For you. Yeah, for you. Yeah, you know. yeah, sick bay Goglan, <laughs> and uh, and finally one who's full of hope, um, Kishnan Sundaresan. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't really say I'm full of hope, Cam. That's painting <laughs> it uh, in an inaccurate description. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about Manchester United later, uh, but we start with a match which the results are uh, an upset, clear cut upset. Leeds United three, Chelsea nil. Some great goals from Leeds. I love the first one. I always love when a when a player steals the ball from the goalkeeper, and uh, something went very right for Leeds. Something went very wrong for Chelsea. But uh, Arvin, a great start to the season for your Leeds United. What's going right there? Yeah, it's it's been a great start, and when you look at it in a, in a wider sense, it could have been three wins out of three. Even the game against Southampton, Leeds kind of threw that away. But we were just absolutely fantastic last night. I mean, from the first minute to the last, you could see the boys were up for it. They ran 11km more than the Chelsea players. So you could see that the effort is there. The effort from the Marcelo Bielsa days are still there. Um, and it's really, I think, the coming in, coming together now of the players who are identifying with what Jesse March wants in the squad. A lot of pundits came out when Leeds made the buys that they did. Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Rasmus Christensen, when they made the buys that they did, everyone focused on the fact that Leeds had lost their two best players, which they did in Calvin Phillips and Rafinha. But if you have a wider lens of football and you watch more continental football, you will realize that these are very, very good players. And the thing that Leeds did really well was that they, they've supplemented losing two key players with depth, depth that the squad badly needed. Last season, we didn't have it. This season, we did. So Leeds were really, really good last night. I was really, really happy with the, with the performance. Um, we had a gathering here with the Leeds fan club again at Bar Roca. So that was a really, really good session. Really? All five of you managed to come together? Nah, the, the pictures don't like it. So, but back to the game, pressing, <laughs> running, clear identity of how the squad wants to play. And let's keep in mind, this is a squad that's still missing Patrick Bamford, still missing the the, the old stalwarts like Luke Ayling, Stuart Dallas. There's still a lot more to come for the squad. But if there's one thing that I was most pleased of completely from last night was the clean sheet. Leeds badly if needed a clean sheet and they managed to shut Chelsea out. The defensive line was really good. You can count the number of times Chelsea were found off uh, offside. So, yeah, just overall really, really good performance from start to finish and thoroughly deserved, in my opinion. So, Leeds are now sitting third in the table. So, I'm guessing, uh, Arvin, you'd be very happy for the season to end right now. And uh, uh, let the players just prepare for the World Cup and uh, just finish there. Uh, Goglin, meanwhile, though, Chelsea, um, I, I really felt that l- l- previous weekend's display from Thomas Tuchel was where he was trying to be really super macho man running around. I, I felt that was really overstated he was going too far there and i feel like we can see the reason why because this chelsea are a bit spineless 
Yeah, I think it's a bit too early in the season to be calling them spineless. They looked really out of sorts on the pitch to, uh, yesterday. I mean, just the long ball to Ailing and Cucurella looked really, I mean, kept losing the ball, kept falling off the ball. Even my son was having a laugh at him. But again, Leeds were like, you know, really, really, really impressed with what I saw out there. They were first to the ball. They really wanted to win this game. And like Alvin said, they ran 11km more. 11km more than your opponent is a lot in a Premier League game. So yes, that's 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 what's one of the things I was wondering when I was watching the match because Chelsea didn't really look like they were, they were just, uh, there was no desire to win that game after that. I think at two 0 they they had given up. Even I think the only person who was doing any off the ball running was uh, Sterling. Anyone with Ziyech coming on and all that, they didn't look like they were going to score. So that clean sheet, I I personally thought they were never they were never going to score even with a penalty, even if they got a penalty. That's how bad it was. They were. Yeah, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question, Keish. Uh, Chelsea, the, it, Chelsea's the big name here. Perhaps we're understating Leeds's place now in in the game. Um, but this was an upset, and it's early in the season. But this Chelsea are looking, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced uh, by the patterns of play that we saw against Leeds United. I think there's still a bit of shakiness at the back, and that's and that's understandable because they've lost um, a lot of players at the back. They've lost Christensen. They've lost Rudiger. And there's been a lot of um, uh, instability about about uh, the personnel at the back, uh, the options. So it's almost like a new look backline that has gone through so much of turmoil last year. And now here they are. At the same time, I still feel they lack extra bit of bite in the midfield. I think N'Golo Kante um, being out injured is obviously affecting them. But even him, these days, he's no longer the N'Golo Kante we saw a couple of years ago. Uh, Jorginho is the only one pulling the strings. There's Kovacic there. Uh, I'd like to see someone with a bit more quality come into the park. But then that's leaving also the problem up front because that's where I think they've got an incredibly important problem to solve before the deadline day because they've lost Lukaku. They no longer have a striker that's capable of scoring goals. I mean, not that I'm saying Lukaku scored the backs of goals last year, but the reason Lukaku was brought in was to solve that goal-scoring problem. And now that they've shipped him off, the only other individual that they've brought in is Raheem Sterling. And I, Sterling didn't really look convincing on the flanks last year, uh, last year, and even the season for Chelsea. He hasn't really looked like a guy that's worth the amount of money that Chelsea paid. I don't know if Aubameyang is the solution either. I really don't. There's a lot of question marks about this Chelsea team at the moment. I still feel they need a couple of extra players. We know that Wesley Fofana is being linked with them, but will Wesley Fofana and Aubameyang be enough? I I, I don't think so. Hey, uh, Arvin. Well, let's go up north then to Newcastle United, three Man City, three, and Manchester City are human. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. The, the, the Newcastle goals were good, but they were kind of standard play. Oh, I mean, a wonderful free kick from Kieran Trippier, who may yeah. not have been, shouldn't have been on the pitch perhaps. And uh, Callum Wilson, I don't know. What did we learn from uh, Man City's display here? Well, let's, let's just not forget that it's been dubbed the, the oil derby because of the, the amount of resources that both both the teams have and the backing that they have. I thought this was a great game. I, I couldn't imagine thinking there was a better game after Leeds beating Chelsea, but this was a really, really good game to watch as well. Man City, for, for what you, you brought up, at times I actually felt that they were slightly outplayed at times. Um, and when you look at it, they probably would have walked away at the end of that match being the happy of the two teams coming away with that point. I don't say that often, but that's what champions or potential champions do when they don't play as well as they normally do or the high standards that they set themselves. 
they at least salvage a draw. We saw that last season against West Ham when they went down 2-0 to West Ham at the end of the season. And you would think that if they lost to West Ham, Liverpool potentially could have been in the driving seat, but they salvaged a draw. So that's what City do. Um, on the day itself, um, there were a couple of players for the City that just didn't think that they were on on what they normally, how well they perform. I thought John Stones had a really, really tough time with St. Iron Maximum. I thought Maximum dragged him all over the pitch. Phil Foden as well, there's a lot. Phil Foden does great. Great gets into great positions, but then you, you tend to ask yourself the decision-making. Could he have passed to someone else? And there were a couple of instances where Haaland was in a better position. But then again, we, we bring back again Kevin De Bruyne literally bringing back the team from where they were in the situation that they were. But on the flip side, when you look at Newcastle last season at this time, I think it took them up to November or December to get five points. They've already got five points now. So the amount of transformation and progress that that club has had is just remarkable. And the one thing that really, really was nice to see post-match was seeing Newcastle fans cheer on their players long after the game had ended. You would have never seen that in the Mike Ashley era. But this is a club where there's a lot of good things happening right now. And it all starts with top management. So I I thought it was a deserving draw, but I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if Newcastle came away with three points. Yeah. And that would have been shocking. Uh, Keish, uh, quite quickly though, uh, can you... So Newcastle right now are in sixth place. I guess they would like to see the season end as well right now. And uh, or, or do you think they can go any further? Well, I, I don't think they will be, uh, you know, aiming to break into the top four or whatever this season. I think internally within the club as well, the goal would probably be just to push for a European spot. Um, if they can get into Europe this year, it'll be an immense success. Um, and to be fair, judging by... Um, the performances that they've put in in a few games, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually get that across the line. My only problem with Newcastle is, whilst on one hand I've been incredibly impressed, I, I, I hate to use the word impressed because I'm not a very big fan of the whole Newcastle takeover thing, but in, in many ways I've been impressed by the way that they've managed their recruitment because it's been very sensible stuff. But on the other hand, you look at that squad and you think to yourself, if a couple of players get injured, where is that depth going to come from? Because I looked at that bench yesterday and I wasn't convinced by that bench. For me, the the, the strength of this Newcastle team at this point in time um, lies in that midfield trio of Joe Willock, um, Joel Linton and uh, Bruno Guimaraes. Now, if you have a couple of them out injured or one of them out injured or you take San Maxima out of the picture or even if Callum Wilson goes out of the picture with an injury. Now, who steps in? Chris Wood, uh, Sean Longstaff. I'm not too sure if we can say similar things about Newcastle if those injuries were to happen. So, I I genuinely feel that it's a squad that's got the potential to do well, but it might get stretched a bit too far sometimes. Uh, In a moment, we're going to come back with uh, the real feel-good team of the moment, Arsenal, here on Just For Kicks. BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. And now we go to a club which for years has been, oh, just so miserable. But now the feel good factor is there. They're playing excellent and really good tactically minded football. Arsenal. It was Bournemouth nil, Arsenal three. Goglan, you have always been a fan of Arteta's project. You, you said take time on that one. Uh, I've, they're very good. And why is that? I mean, I always said trust the process. Part of Arteta was thing was, you know, I think that should be given to every manager, even uh, Lampard to a certain point. 
he is doing something that is building himself. The way he has got rid of players and brought in players is very remarkable, commendable, if you ask me, from an Arsenal point of view. Because Arsenal is a big club, you know, in the magnifying glass, you know, everything you do is magnified and amplified. So when you go and do a gutting, gutting of sorts like that, of key players, you have to start producing results eventually. And the players now that there he has got in there, you know, the spine of the Arsenal team is there. You can see it's an Ateta project and it's coming in form. And of course, Jesus and Zivchenko have added on to that, right? So they, they, Arsenal has always played great football during Arsene Wenger's time. You know, they they, they they were playing great football before City, even the City days. So it's the Arsenal way. And I think that's coming back now to a certain point. It's a bit more flair now, a bit more of the finishing is there. There's somebody to finish it. Of like Jesus reminds me of uh, Bergkamp days, you know, Henri Bergkamp days, you know. So it's a feel good factor at Arsenal, and I think uh, it's it's you no. Know, I hope it's not a flash in the pan, and I hope they be consistent throughout. Because like again, touching on what Keish said on depth, Arsenal worries me about their depth also. If key players go down, get injured, where where is where 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 is that depth? Yeah, uh, Arvin, uh, Arsenal. I'm sorry, Bournemouth fans, if there are any. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Saliba. The, the the defender scored a beautiful goal, and yeah. but actually Arsenal fans were more excited about Zinchenko's reaction to that goal. Yeah. <laughs> They're very excited about Zinchenko. One fan saying Zinchenko is a central left back holding attacking midfielding defending winger everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean Jesus is taking the plaudits, but having having that kind of player, they haven't had um, a, a captain's player like that since Patrick Vieira. That, well, the captain, the, the anointed captain for Arsenal now is Martin Odegaard. So he's the anointed captain. But there are personalities across that 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 squad right now. Uh, like, I, like I've said in the previous show, Zinchenko and Jesus, whatever you say about them, they're proven winners. They've won the league multiple times. They, they get it. They understand what it takes to get across the line. So Arsenal have gone from the days of getting players from around the continent that are more B-level B to actual winners in the Premier League. So it's a different shift of the strategy. Um, it's, it's with Arsenal, it's just right now, what you can only really defeat what's in front of you. So they've obviously had a, a decent start to the season. I thought the Crystal Palace game at the beginning, I thought that was the one that Palace could have got something from them. But on the other performances, they've been they've been they've been great. So there are bigger tests to come for Arsenal moving forward. But they have got proven solutions across the pitch right now. And when you think about it, the wins that they've had. The one player that actually hasn't contributed that much is Bukayo Saka. And that's surprising because last season, he was the one that you expected to come up trumps. But now you've got Martinelli, you've got you've got Gabriel Jesus, you've got all these players called Emil Smith-Rowe can't get a game in right now. And he was, he's was he been great for them as well. So there will be bigger tests for Arsenal to come. Uh, but the one really nice thing about this performance is that if you go on many fanzines and many Arsenal sites, this was a win dedicated to their head groundsman. Their head groundsman is someone who's been very, very well thought of at Arsenal, a gentleman by the name of Steve Braddock. So he lost his life over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So that was something that it's really, I, I know it meant a lot to the Arsenal fans because he's really a part of the institution for that club. So great win for them, bigger test to come, but Arsenal are better equipped than they have been for many seasons now. Yeah, uh, just to cap off, it is Bournemouth. Um, so, I w- uh, Keish, I want to take you to, before we allow um, Goglin to talk about his Aston Villa, Crystal Palace 3, Aston Villa 1, Keish, this should not have been a surprise. I thought, I didn't, I could not understand what Villa were trying to do, but Zaha is a really wonderful player, and Crystal Palace go from strength to strength. 
Yeah, this was a it was an incredible performance from Palace. But anyone who sort of watched Palace against Arsenal on match day one, or anyone who watched Palace grow from strength to strength throughout last season, um, would not have been entirely surprised by the level of the performance here. Look, one of the players at Palace that they brought in that I'm a massive fan of um, is a guy by the name of Cheikh Dukore, who plays as that holding midfield role. Um, he's a guy that I've I've like oh I, I've just been hoping and wishing for Man United to pick him up over the last couple of seasons. But no, it was uh, Crystal Palace who picked him up. And on the other side of the pitch, you had Aston Villa, who also had another holding midfielder that I've been hoping and praying for Man United to pick up for the last couple of seasons, Bobakar Kamara. So this was a battle between two incredibly solid uh, defensive sixes. But obviously, Palace came out on top, um, primarily because they've got the better coach by a mile, Patrick Vera. We saw how quickly he instilled his ideas into the Palace team. Um, just very quickly, Cam, in the Premier League, it is never an easy thing for a new manager to come in and instill your style of football at a football club that prior to that had been playing an incredibly conservative brand of football. And we always argue that you've got to give the manager time to be able to assert his ideology. But make no mistakes, Patrick Vieira took barely a couple of months for you to be able to even see that ideology immediately in that Palace team. And now he's had a full season, he's into his second season. The style of play is a lot more evident. Players like Joachim Anderson at the back have been absolutely immense. Mark Gahey as well. And then you've got Zaha, you've got Eberichi Eze, just running riot in the middle of the park. So it's a squad that has so much of quality, so much of excitement. And this style of football is just absolutely brilliant as well. I think Palace, if they can keep this going this season, they could be a major outsider for a top seven position. I really do feel that because it's a really solid, solid performance. Mm, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the other side, Aston Villa, Gogolin. Like I say, I don't really see what uh, Gerard was trying to do, but I guess he does he just have not the personnel to do anything other than whatever it is that they do? I've spoken at length about Villa and Gerard. You know, I'm not a believer of Gerard. You know, I wasn't last season. I've been waiting to be convinced about Gerard. I still am not. Yeah, I don't know whether he has a philosophy of play. Like, you know, all the things that Keish was talking about, Vieira. Vieira does not even get the time of day and the amount of press that Gerard or Lampard get. You know, and Vieira, look at what he's done at uh, Palace in such a short term. That style of play that they are playing is, you know, is, like say, I, I, Keish saying outside top seven. I will say right now they will finish top seven if they carry on playing like this. You know, if they strengthen in a, in a good way in the January transfer window, you're looking at a good Palace resurgence here. You know, one of the outside teams, Villa, are benchmark against teams like Palace right now. Palace, Leeds, and all mm. that, and they, all of them are playing better than Villa right now. You know, Villa have just picked up from where they left off last season. I don't see any improvement. They've brought in some personnel, like you said. Kamara was a good signing. I, I personally rated him, you know, and to, I was very impressed that they got him actually, you know, on that. But they did their job early, so you know, you when you do your transfers early in the in the window, you get to set your team up and set a style of play, and then you go and drop Minx as captain and start to hold this whole instability going on. Minx is a captain material, you know. You got to if you're going to drop him, tell us why you dropped him. You dropped Minx, you make McGinn captain. McGinn was invincible, yes. Uh, the other day. 
So I, I really don't know what style of play, what is Gerard trying to do? Because there is no tactical nose coming in from him. There is no style of play that can be changed. Vieira changes it on the spot when they see something. Even Jesse Marsh, to a certain point uh, last night when I watched that, you know, I could see what he was trying to do when they were with Tuni Lab, you know, even being conservative and hitting them on the counter. So there's a tactical change in there. But for Villa, even at a 2 1 down, I didn't see any change. Mm. So I, I'm, my, the jury's still out on uh, Steven Gerrard for me. Is his position safe? Well, right now it is safe. I mean, the the uh, Ispan Sa is coming on. He's, the board is backing him. The money is there. The board is backing him. He's these are his players. So I really don't understand what's what's the problem. Well, uh, Arvin. Meanwhile, uh, Leicester one, Southampton two. Another troubled team. Uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. This is a really woeful start. And I I don't know. I mean, can they're in trouble? I, I feel it's a team that needs that badly needs rejuven- rejuvenation. This Leicester squad has, has, from the time that they won the league to where they are now, there's still players there that they've kind of not moved on. And even with Brendan Rodgers, I feel that he's brought them as far as he can. You look at the situation that they're in right now, Wesley Fofana, they, they, they've not they've hardly made any signings. They've not made any signings, but they're holding on very, very strongly with Wesley Fofana for a lot of money. That money comes in, they get to spread it out and buy a couple of players. He was he asked not to play on the day. He was sitting in the in, in in the stands and not even in the corporate boxes with with players or he was sitting with the fans. And then you've got Yuri Tillman still on the bench. Um so Brendan Rogers, for me, the, the club that we've admired so much for the last few years, and don't get me wrong, there's still there's a lot of good things about Leicester, but there just seems to have been something, a spanner in the works that that's kind of changed the way that they operate. Overall, James Madison as well. I thought he did. He did. He was probably the one bright spark on the day itself with that free kick. But he himself has been touted for potential moves to places like Newcastle. I wouldn't have been surprised that he wants to move on. So, in that sense, Leicester have had a horrible start to the season, and we've talked about this that they are genuinely, genuinely going to struggle. On the other hand, Southampton, extremely young squad. I thought the average age was like 23, 24. They've got a really young squad there. They'll have some, they'll have their issues as well. But they are a refreshed team. I see Ralph Hassan who will try and do something different about it. With Leicester and Brendan Rodgers, it seems the same thing. And it's summarized because they've signed Jamie Wadi to 2024. Great, Jamie Wadi is great. But you would think that you would kind of change things up a little bit. I'm not seeing that enough from the Foxes at this moment. So, uh, Kishna, we don't have time to uh, find out what your thoughts are on Brendan Rodgers as the next Manchester United uh, manager. We'll find out later. Uh, Because in a moment, we're going to go to the other team that's on the up, Tottenham Hotspur, here on Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks with Akishan and Sundaresan, Arvin Sidhu and Gogolin. And now a team, for me, utterly transformed, culturally transformed. Spurs won, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. This is the perfect Italian scoreline from Conte. This is what all Italian managers dream of against the Portugal B team. Spurs have uh, a real bit of um, bit of something about them. I mean, it was only one goal, but Harry Kane and Son off the bar two or three times each. Kishnan, this is uh, a team to be to, to be considered. Um, there's two ways to look at it, really, Cam. Um, I think on one hand, we we can't help but also praise Spurs because um, this was a very Conte victory, a slim margin, one nil victory. But I don't think the scoreline tells you the actual story of the game because the story of the game was that this was a game in which I thought Wolves were the way better side. Mm. Um, in terms of in terms of ball possession, I think it was almost even. Uh, but Wolves created far more chances. 
um, the one thing that stopped them from actually being able to score is that they genuinely just don't help that physical threat up front anymore. I mean, I, I think of Raul Jimenez a couple of seasons ago and is absolutely brilliant at, the, at, at, at spearheading that sort of like that attack for Wolves. Um, he's obviously kind of lost it. He didn't feature in this game, but there was, you know, Gonzalo Guedes, who they just signed from uh, Valencia. There was Daniel Podens playing up front as well. I love this Wolves team. I think it's it's so free-flowing. Um, Bruno Lach has got them playing a style of football that is completely different to Nuno Espirito Santo, who's a bit more conservative, lets ab- absorb the pressure and hit them on the counter. But this Bruno Large Wolves team takes initiative. It seizes control of the games. They want to you know, uh, strike first blood as fast as they can. And, and, and they attempt to do it really well as well. They, they go about their business playing some really neat and tidy football. But the only thing they're stopping them is that they don't have that goal-scoring presence up front. I know Gonzalo Cuedes is the guy that's been brought in to sort of alleviate that pressure. Not sure if he can do it. I wasn't really 100% convinced by him at Valencia either. But we will see that as it goes. Um, as far as Spurs are concerned, this was a game that they won. All three points. Um, Harry Kane got them the goal. But I'm pretty sure Conte would, would be having some words in the dressing room in terms of like, we need to manage fixtures like this a bit better. We need to control games like this a bit better. Okay, so uh, occasionally they're schooling me on Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, occasionally, very quickly, they're at 17th right now. Are they going to rise? Are they going to survive, Wolves? No, 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 definitely, 100%. Um, this is not a Wolves team that's going to battle relegation. It's it's far too good. It's okay. far, too, far too good, far too structured. Uh, they've, they've got a style of, of football that is really entertaining as well. I, I, I can't see them battling relegation. Okay, uh, Gogolin Spurs again, if I if I may. As a person who watches uh, England play, um, I've, I was always scared of Perisic for Croatia. He, he's uh, I don't know how old he is now. He's about fifty, but he's um, very good. They've got some they've got some real threats and and playmakers and so many different possibilities. I think the Spurs is the real deal. I mean, if you're a Spurs fan right now, you'll be. I mean, I was saying this in the August window, and the Spurs have been buying well. You know, buying well and implementing that is two different things. But Conte, you know, with a manager like Conte, that they, he has put them down, and they are slowly get rid- getting rid of that Spursy label. That Wolves game is a prime example of how it could have been a Spursy game, right? You know, running the show and then coming back down two nil, losing their game two nil or something like that. But you know, they did a workman like thing. They got the they got the three points. They took it back home. Every player stood out for them, working their socks off. And this is what Conte brings to a team. Again, I was very surprised when Conte was available that United didn't go for him because the exact perfect fit, if you ask me at that point, was Conte for United. So when he came to Spurs, a lot of uh, uh, Conte fans were saying that, you know, watch what he's going to do for Spurs, you know, and he's going to really transform the team. And he, he hasn't really laid down the marker yet. But as you can see, watch Spurs this season. If he, if Conte is allowed a free hand to, on on this team, it will be a, it'll be a joy to watch. Could they, could, they win, could they win the league? They might actually be a good threat because I don't see anybody stepping up this season other than City, Liverpool, and who's the, who's the other team? There, I mean, Chelsea are still assembling it. If you ask me, to, uh, man for man, right now I would take Spurs over Chelsea. Arvin, two teams which I think you uh, understand quite well because you know Spurs, uh, sorry, Leeds are in that kind of zone. But uh, Fulham three, Brentford two. I'm I apologise to Fulham. I wrote them off from the <laughs> from last season. I said they're just going to fail. They're going to lose every single match. But you know. Uh, They've played. They played their style, and Mitrovic coming in with a Mitrovic goal. Um, and uh, how did they? How did they beat Brentford at their own game? 
Um, it's the classic case of the, the promoter team needing their home form to carry them forward. It's a classic case with this. You saw that in the first game of the season when, when Fulham played really well against, against Liverpool because there's no fear. There's no fear. The fans are glad that you're back after many years away. Let's just go for it. And Mitrovic is just blockbuster. He's blockbuster either for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. You saw last week with the penalty miss. You saw the week before that with the couple of goals he scored against Liverpool. And then you saw this week again with the winning goal. So in that sense, I, I, I feel that Fulham at home will be a lot of fun this season. I don't know if it will be sustained over time because I w- I've never been the biggest fan of Marco Silva. I, I just think that he's tried to do it in the league before, but he's not been able to deliver. Um, but but and you could see that because at one point Brentford had, had fought, they were two nil down and they came back, they came back into it. Uh, David Raya, I thought, made a couple of really, really good saves uh, for Brentford as well. Um, so it's early season bliss for Fulham, in my opinion. I do if I look across that team and do I ask myself, do they have the personnel to survive? It's still very, very tough. Um I'm a big fan of Kevin Mbabu. I thought when he came over from the Bundesliga, he was a really good player as well. So that was some... Actually, I wouldn't have minded him at Leeds as well. But the rest of them, I mean, Duffy, Harrison Reed, Bobby Decora Reed, not really, in my opinion, Premier League levels. So more areas of improvement for Fulham, but great start to them. Let's let's give it to them. But I just feel they'll kind of fade out a little bit as time goes on. That's... Uh, how dare you say that of my Fulham... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I agree to a certain point, but you know, teams like Fulham, they need to get points on the board early. Yes. Right? yes. Correct? It gives yep. them a sense of, uh, you know, these type of teams, like, you know, even Leeds, no disrespect, Villa and Leeds, yeah. and all, all the same position. We get the points in early, it builds towards the end of the season, right? So even if we have a blip, which is coming for every team, Welcome we have that buffer, you know? Yeah. Mm. Speaking of blips, Kish. I can't help but be coming a bit fixated by David Moyes' West Ham, uh, who are having, could this just be a blip, um, a woeful start to the season. And um, they, uh, beaten by Brighton, uh, for some reason I don't have scoreline down. 2-0. 2-0. And uh, Brighton are, are capable of scoring goals. They could go far, could they not? Yeah, they could. They could. Um, I, I'm not. I'm still not 100% sold by Brighton can score goals. I know they scored twice here, uh, but I'd like to see them go out and get um, a, a credible striker out there. Um, I don't think depending on Danny Welbeck and Danny Sundavalon is going to help you. I think Neil Mope is apparently on the verge of leaving the club as well. Brighton have incredible quality all over the park. They just need um, uh, uh, an out-and-out goal scorer to help them alleviate the burden in the premier league when you have when you when you've got a squad like brighton the only thing that's stopping you from breaking bigger barriers is that that goal scoring presence up front and i hope they go and get someone but west ham wow um, i don't even know where to start really um because i thought this could this was going to be the west ham season i thought this was going to be the west ham season um with with jen lucas kamaka coming up front um uh, reducing the burden on Mikhail antonio to be their sole goal provider um, with Declan Rice staying, Thomas Suchek, uh, his partnership with Rice being renewed as well. Pablo Fornal had a bit drama. Jared Bowen extending the form that he showed last year. So I, I really am not sure. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to make sense of these performances. But it's not like um, the game against Brighton was an unfair result. I, I felt, for example, the week prior to that, when they lost against Forest, that was a result that was probably a bit of 
you could argue that it was unfair uh, to some extent because West Ham were really in that game. I think they hit the post a couple of times. They had a penalty that was saved as well. So they could have very easily come out of that game with, with a positive result. But this one against Brighton, I genuinely thought that they were to a large extent, you know, outplayed. Um, they didn't, didn't really create much chances. Um, uh, couldn't really test uh, the Brighton defence on, on way too many occasions. It didn't really look like they were on the verge of genuinely breaking the their, their, their deadlock. So, it was it was a really poor performance from West Ham. And, and I can't wrap my head around it because you look at a team, you look at the players that have come in and you, and you look at what David Moyes did last year, especially with the Europa League run as well. I'm starting to wonder if this is a squad that has sort of like, you know, mentally just been drained by whatever they did last year. Uh, make no mistakes, last year was a long season for West Ham. They went all the way to the semi-finals of the Europa League. That's an incredible amount of games being played by such a thin squad. And I'm wondering if from a mental standpoint, that takes an impact. And make no mistakes, this season as well, in midweek, while every other Premier League team was resting, West Ham had to play last week in, the, in, in midweek in a UEFA Conference League match, um, where Kamaka actually did score his first West Ham goal. So I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if this is an exhausted West Ham team. Gogolin, you've been nodding your head. Uh, has young British manager David Moyes been found out so early in his career? <laughs> Let's not talk about David Moyes. Let's talk about what Potter is doing at Brighton. You know, teams like uh, Potter, um, Marsh, and all the teams get gutted each every every season with players by the big boys, and yet they have a philosophy that they have they adhere to. You know, and you look at what Potter is doing. He's lost key players. He's going to lose me more pay. Is it uh, Kish? Apparently, there's yeah. rumors that more pay might leave. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, and he and still they are playing the football that they 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 know that what they can are capable of, and this is what I'm saying about managers like Potter, who flies under the radar, but he's doing great things at Brighton. And imagine him at a bigger club. No respect, Brighton, but you know, with a bit more resources that is disposable, the philosophy that he has. These are player coaches that you, you look for. Well, certainly in five years' time, I mean, the roster of managers will be the likes of Potter, Eddie Howe. These will be the the top managers. Uh, and we will be, I mean, these are the last dying days of David Moyes, I guess. <laughs> it's sad to see him go. No, but I, back to West Ham, I think they, they will, you, the fatigue starts in because everybody forgets that they had a midweek game, you know, and the fact that they're coming back to play on a Saturday. And maybe you could be, uh, Kish might have hit the nail on the hip with the yeah. mentally drained part of the squad, you know. Yeah, because I had absolutely no idea that they played a match in midweek. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we move on and we're going to wrap up the uh, Premier League in the next section and also talk some Malaysian football here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back in the final part of Just for Kicks. Um, and uh, so, Arvin, I want to ask um, about Everton 1, Nottingham Forest 1. Nottingham Forest had a great start. Uh, a bit lucky, I guess. Uh, no, oh, you shook oh, your head there. No, no, no you think no, deservedly no, no. so. I, I felt they were very unfortunate not to get the three points on the day itself. Yep. Uh, as a promoter team, they, they'll they'll take a point away from home any at any point of the season. They they won last week, and this week itself, they they would be kicking themselves because it was such a simple goal to be undone at at the end of it. Jordan Pickford kind of loops the ball straight up to 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 Dumara Gray, and he finishes it itself. So Nottingham Forest would have walked away from that thinking what could have been because they could have been on six points right now, which is an absolutely amazing start for the season. So in, in that sense, Nottingham Forest, I feel got a lot to look forward to. 
But again, it, it comes back to what we've talked about with Everton on last week's show, and we, we talk about it in the same same sense again. I thought it was a largely drab affair at Goodison Park for this one. There was only two goals that came into it in the last 10 minutes. There were there were a couple of shots uh, at the start from Everton, but I feel that was because the Goodison Park crowd carries them. That Goodison Park crowd will not accept anything less. But other than that, the absence of the striker is clearly hurting Everton right now. Uh, even Solomon Rondon came back, but you don't expect him to score goals. He'll kind of link up play and kind of be that that barrel-chested striker that will kind of lay things off, but he's not going to get on the end of things. I don't think so. He'll even get close to, to double digits for goals for Everton. So in that sense, Everton have got a lot to a lot to worry about. And this is the one thing we've talked about quite a bit. You've got the likes of Eddie Howe, you've got the likes of um, Graham Potter, and then you've got the foreign coaches like Patrick Vieira and Jesse March. They, they don't get that much of coverage. They don't get that much of headlines. But then you've got Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard still talked about so much. But when you look at performances and whether they're bringing results, I, I still feel that Gerrard's better than Lampard. But Lampard is, for me, I'll be very surprised if this continues if he lasts by December, to be very honest. Yeah, my, my notes on Everton simply say, Everton were okay. Could there be anything else to say? Uh, Goglin, the, uh, oh, speaking of um, teams that would like to end the season right now, with Nottingham Forest sitting in 10th, I'd be happy to stop right there. But one team that wouldn't like to end right there Manchester United, they're going to be playing Liverpool uh, tonight. How do you see this one going? Uh, I mean, this is, well, to be fair to United, this is a good time to be playing Liverpool because they seem to be out of sorts also. But, you know, I don't know what's going on at United. I was really, really surprised with that first half at uh, Brentford. You know, I was they were completely outplayed by a team that just wanted to play football. You know, and uh, I'm sorry, Kish, but I really don't understand what was the rationale in buying Martinez, you know, a centre-back in an English Premier League game. Nah, he'll do well. Don't worry, Google. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even start him for Galaxy in centre-back, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, United have got nothing to lose in this game, you know, to be fair. They, they, their back's against the walls. Eric Ten Hag might, I don't know really understand, how, I don't know how many games he'll have, but because, you know, and when United, everything's in a, you know, magnified, right, and amplified. So, they have a great squad there. It's just that I don't understand where, what they're going to be doing at Liverpool. Because the pressure is so immense right now from the media itself that I, Eric Ten Hag is just sit everybody down and play and understand that this is football that they're going to be playing, not playing to the gallery. Yeah. Because that that is basically it. There are good players there. I think Ronaldo and Rashford should be dropped. But other than that, I think everybody else is giving as good as they can. Yep, Kishnan, the season I starts leave, here. I, 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 I want to hear my Kishnan. No, no, I, I, I just want to uh, talk about the the, the Martinez situation. Um, it's 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 a it's a comment that that we've heard not just Goglin make like I know characters like Jamie character have gone out to say it as well. Um, but but just a couple of things. Anyone who looked at his performance against Brentford will notice that number one, Martinez didn't lose a single aerial duel. In the whole game, he did not lose a single aerial duel. And that's because, as much as possible, he abstains from contesting an aerial duel. He will always be aggressive on the front foot to force tall strikers uh, from being able to not even contest the ball in the air because he will push them, he'll, he'll cause it, be a complete nuisance on the ground. Um, and it's a style of play that we've seen Martinez do at Ajax for a very long time. Um, and he's done, done it very efficiently against 
some of the best strikers in Europe. I remember last year, Champions League, when Ajax completely smashed Borussia Dortmund, Martinez really, really just kept Erling Haaland at bay completely that night with an, with an incredible performance. He's a really good reader of the game and he's almost uh, like a bulldog in terms of how aggressive he can be. Um, and, and Ten Hag himself alluded to that. Um, I think in an interview that he was doing with, with Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville a couple of days ago, a snippet was released by Sky Sports and you could see in the snippet, they asked him the same question about Martinez and he said that, look, the data doesn't show that he's struggling. And to be fair, he did not struggle with the exception of that one corner situation when he was sort of caught out of position with a goalkeeper that wasn't commanding enough to jump in the air and catch it. But that's beside the point, right? United have got bigger problems than, than Martinez. And the one thing that I do agree with, Gokes, is that I, I do think that against a team like Liverpool, you just cannot play Ronaldo. Um, if, if not, you, you, you need runners against this team. You need strikers who are going to work their socks off. Make no mistakes, Ronaldo is still an elite-level finisher inside the box. Um, but against teams like Liverpool, you cannot depend on just strikers that will give you something inside the box because you need guys to work um, their socks off. So I'm wondering if Anthony Marshall is fit enough to start. Um, he will probably um, start up front. And I, and I, the other thing I also agree with Gokes is, honestly, like Rashford just looks lost at the moment and I wouldn't play him at that left. Um, I know people were saying that, but hey, didn't he have a good preseason? I, I, I really don't think so. Um, he looked okay didn't really look like the blistering Marcus Rashford that we knew from a couple of seasons ago. I'd rather have the kid, Garnacho, start out wide on the left because he caused a lot of problems during preseason against Rayo Vallecano. And I think his sort of unpredictable runs could cause problems for Liverpool as well. Um, I, I agree, I'm not having a lot of hopes. Um, I, I'm just looking to see how else um, can United continue to learn and improve under Eric Ten Hag. That's yeah. all I'm hoping for, really. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a question. I don't know whether it's been asked before because I've just came on the show this season. But Kish, where do you see United finishing this season? Honestly. Oh, the, the, uh, it's difficult to cast that judgment now because players are going to come in. Like Casemiro is coming in. Um, okay, I where, where would we United... be happy? Where would we be happy that they finish? With this, with this oh, new squad top, that's being built. Top half? Uh, top, top six, top six. Hmm? I'm, I'm not okay. expecting UCL. You, you, you can't look at Arsenal. You can't look at Spurs. Teams that are far ahead of us in the rebuild and then say we want to beat them into top four. If we do that, that's a bonus. That's an absolute bonus. But I would not expect that. We are still far behind them in terms of the rebuild process. Look, Manchester United didn't even play this weekend and we still ended up talking 10 minutes. <laughs> right? I promised myself. But anyway, finding a, a striker uh, I'm to... Sure Arvin, Arvin's got something to say about the United well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Arvin in a second. But finding a striker for Manchester United reminds me of, sort of like trying to find the back of the cupboard what we got to eat and it's like a one can of sardines that expired five years ago. Um, and you eat it anyway. Uh, you, 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 kept, you kept that in the bag for a while, didn't you, Cam? Uh, yeah, he's been waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, waiting for years, isn't it? Hey, Arvin, Liverpool are also playing. Liverpool yeah, need to are. win. They are, they are. Liverpool is there as well. Liverpool haven't had the stellar start of the season that they've had. They would have looked at last night's um, City dropping points against Newcastle and they'll think, they'll tell themselves if there was ever an opportunity to kind of get momentum back on our, on our side, it would be now. So they'll be all out for the three points. Last season, they beat United 5-0 and 4-0. It was a nine-goal swing for Liverpool. I, I still, I don't think it will be that again because I, I feel that United under Ten Hag, um, they were lost against Brentford, but 
I can see what they're trying to do. I think Casemiro is going to come in and solve quite a lot of their problems because I, I admire someone like Casemiro who has won five Champions Leagues, has the opportunity to actually probably have another good shot, win La Liga, but said to himself, nope, I want to try a different challenge. People might say to him, you're not even playing in the Champions League, doesn't matter, I'm going to go there. So I think Casemiro will solve quite a bit of their problems. There's a talk of a big protest happening tomorrow night um, at, at the United ground where fans are supposed to there's a lot of narrative being spoken that that's the reason why they're spending money. They want to kind of quiet it down fans. Casimiro, they're linked to Anthony from Ajax. So it's going to be interesting. I, I just don't think it will be as bad as last season, but Liverpool will get the win because they would want to capitalise on City dropping points last night. Now, because of you, Kishnan, we've got very little time to talk about Malaysian football and because you talked about Manchester United, so it's your fault. You uh, brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But JDT in Japan, they, they were playing while we were on air last uh, Friday. Mm. So what happened? They got absolutely smashed 5-0 by Urawa Red Diamonds. It was the performance. It was probably one of the poorest JDT performances I've seen on the continental stage. Um, even when they got outplayed by Vissel Kobe a couple of seasons ago. I didn't think it was as morbid as this performance. Um, and that's saying a lot because this was the better JDT team compared to the one that played Vissel Kobe a couple of years ago. It was very, really disappointing. I mean, take take nothing away from them. JDT, first time ever in the knockout stages of the, of the Asian Champions League. That in itself is an incredible feat. And to be fair, if they were to have been knocked out in the round of 16, um, it would have just been completely understandable. But to go out of the round of 16 in the manner that they did was, I think, the disappointing part. Um, and, and I know, Jet, I think the, the part that surprised me the most was their decision to to tinker with, with that starting 11 because um, they've signed a former Swansea um, defender, Jordi Ahmad, who hasn't played prior to this for JDT. But all of a sudden, he stepped into defensive midfield, a role that, um, I mean, we... He's a centre-back, right? His primary position is a centre-back. And and in a game of this magnitude, I'd rather just see him in a centre-back if he's going to play. If he's not going to play, then even better. Um, you don't introduce new players to a game of this magnitude. That's a bit tricky. Um, and at the same time, the, 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 uh, their midfield anchor, Nacho Insa, has been out with an injury for a few weeks, apparently. Um, but he was immediately thrown back into the starting eleven as well. While the guy that has been standing in for him pretty well um, in the Malaysian League, Hong Wan, who, you, who used to be a part of the Wolves Academy, um, he was left on the bench. So all of a sudden, that midfield just got completely overrun. Just got completely overrun for large portions of the game. And when JDT tried to fix it in the second half, nothing could be salvaged anymore. So, yes, um, we still need to to respect their performances because it's still an incredible achievement no Malaysian side has ever played in the Champions League let alone qualify for the knockout stages but to get as far as they do as they did and then to capitulate the way it happened against Urawa Reds that was just a bit frustrating to see yeah well on on that sad note then we uh, must bring it to the end this uh, week's show and uh, a thank you to uh, Gogolin thanks good to be back boys Good to have you back. Thank you, Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week ahead. And, uh, well, thank you, Kishnan Sundaresan, and uh, good luck with tonight, I suppose. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. And uh, myself, Cam Ruslan, and join us next Friday on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.